five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. You're listening to Tabletop and Beyond with your host, Justin. But before we get started, how was your geek week? And co-hosts, Dan and Jason. You have to be willing to let the dice help you tell the story. Okay, look, this year, I'm going to stop mispronouncing words. Join us as we cover board games to war games and beyond. And welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. I'm your host, Justin. I'm here with my main man, Jason. Hey, good to be here. All right, buddy. This is two weeks in a row that we don't have Dan. Uh, well, it's yeah, just one actually... week in a row. It's just right. one week in a row. I mean, he's taking his. He, I think he's out taking his daughter to visit colleges, his senior daughter. <sighs> Are we at that right age now. already? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Yes. So good for him, man. Spend yes. some time with his some time with his daughter, uh, trying to help her figure out where she goes next in life. But we miss uh, him. We do miss him. We do miss him. And so we do have geek news this week, but it's just not quite the same. Well, nope. we'll do. We'll make do. Yep. We'll make do. Well, we've got a pretty good show today. We are going to talk about the David versus Goliath. We're going to be talking about indie games versus AAA games in the world of board games, war games, and RPGs. So what does that mean? What does indies mean? What AAAs mean? And is there any difference anymore? Right. Right. I'll be Mm. curious. I'm excited to see where we go with this. I am too. It's going to be a Riff Jam session. So strap in, kids, because here we go. (laughs) So, So, Jason, how was your Geek Week, though? Good Geek Week, man. So I... I'm finishing. I talked about I'm finishing up my kill team, uh, Chelneth, right? I really, I'm really Jones into place and kill team, man. I'm like watching like battle reports on YouTube and stuff like that. And uh, I've, I actually started. I, I'm, I have my painting scheme now for my towel that I'm, that I'm okay with, that I like. Um, and uh, also uh, have been doing some bases, and <laughs> I have been doing some heretical bases. I cut up. Uh-huh. I actually took. I took a space marine and cut him, cut him up completely and put him into the bases as if oh the Tau have, as if the Tau have you know dominated and destroyed space marine units and are now trampling detected. over them. I know, right? <laughs> but I mean, it's because like my sisters, my sisters have Tau skulls and broken part Tau stuff on theirs. I didn't really have any like sister stuff that really made sense, so I, that's why I used the the space marine from the you know from the Empire. Or the uh, the imperial whatever. Uh, yeah. There. So so if you look when I bring both of these the sisters and the Tau onto the table, their bases will be very thematically related to their armies. Uh, so I'm excited, and I've actually been making some videos of it. So I'm hoping to. Ooh. I'm hoping to put these together and put them onto our uh, our fa- our uh, YouTube channel. We need to come up with a flashy intro. Yeah. I'm thinking. Well, I mean, we have it. We have one for the board games, you know, the that's like true. film strip oh, thing. That's true. That's so true. Maybe what I could do is I could just uh, mix some hobbying into that film strip as well as the uh, the boards. The board I was games. thinking of a Game of Thrones style intro <laughs> where we have a you know like blood running down our tabletop that we've completely created and yes, you know, with dramatic <laughs> music in the background. I mean, like, why not? Right. I thought about like. 
you know, and I'm making the bases. I'm cutting up all these uh, space marines. Like maybe, you know, if I accidentally like cut my finger and blood just starts pouring all over the table, it's like, yeah, we're just gonna keep it. We're gonna keep we it. We should. We should. <laughs> I've Fortunately, cut I did not cut my finger this time. I've cut myself a few times with uh, the exacto knife when oh. I'm shaving off the totally. uh, little flash bits, and mm-hmm. it's like. So when you put like a whole box together at one point, you know, like your thumb starts to get a little raw from shaving that thing off, you know, and yeah. then every now and then it'll slip and get you and you're just like, son of a gun. Cause it's like the worst paper cut. Yeah. My thing is I'll, I'll, I'll be totally slicing my thumb up all, all evening. And then I won't notice it until like later that night when I'm laying in bed and I'm like, why does my thumb hurt? And I'll look over and I'll just see like gashes all in. It's like, holy <laughs> crap, I didn't even notice that. Totally. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. The, uh, so yeah, so look for, uh, you know, sometime in the obvious future. <laughs> look for some videos I may put together on how I did my towels and my, and my bases. And I'm not just showing how I like decorated my bases, right? Like I'm showing how, because um, I've done this before, you know, how I make basing molds. Right, uh, right. So I'm showing how I'm making the mold starting from a completely blank base uh, using kind of the paver cement that I use, the patch cement that I use to kind of give it that nice texture and then put bits in and then create a mold and then go from the mold up to the painting and the flocking and the texturing. So it's, it'll be a complete video on how to make bases at budget too. Because I use yeah. pretty budget, low budget stuff to do my things. Uh, the second thing I did, the second thing I did for my Geek Week is I've been playing Gears of War Tactics, oh, which is okay. it's not a super new game, but it's in the Games Pass. We talk about the Games Pass uh, a lot on this show, um, and I was I was watching all these Kill Team videos, and you know I was jonesing for some tactics gameplay, turn-based tactics gameplay. So I scrolled through the list, found that, and let me tell you, it's actually a really fun game. And if you are a fan of the Gears of War series or franchise, and I was, I was with it from the beginning, back when uh, Cliffy B first demonstrated what Gears of War 1 was going to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, which, by the way, if some of you remember that from, gosh, what was that like? That was like almost 20, almost 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was yeah. playing that, like standing out in front of the screen playing it. And there was actually another person playing a duplicate version of it right behind the screen. And they had a kill button just in case the one that Cliffy was playing crashed. They could hit the button and swap the screens real quick. Because they had, they said they had a bug in the code they hadn't found yet that would cause the game to crash. So there was this like, oh they had gosh. this like, yeah, they had this degree of like nervous sweat that nobody saw. And it went off really nice. But yeah, I remember reading that thinking, oh, that's really funny. But uh, anyways, that's a little bit of history there. So Gears of War Tactics, fun game in the Gears of War universe, and it's true to it, even though it's like a isometric bird's eye view. Um, when you go and you do kills and chainsaw stuff, it zooms in and it, it looks like it's you know it looks like it's the same engine that you played Gears of War on. And it's Ooh, a nice. fun game. I'm really enjoying it, and it's 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 what you would think, right? Your 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 units have action points, and it's an action point. Um, uh, what's the word we use? It's like economy. It, yeah, economy. Thanks. It's an action point economy for your units, mm-hmm. um, and you got to balance it based off of your turn versus the enemy's turn uh, to make sure you can achieve your objectives. So, uh, yeah, that's been my Geek Week. Nice, nice. Uh, let's see. For my Geek Week, I was doing some modeling as well. I finally built the entire Heart of Gur Warcry box. Sure looked like a lot when you took that picture, man. It was. 
it's it was more than I thought it was because like yeah. the thing is is they show you the picture of it all out there and you're like oh that's not nearly as much as the other boxes but yeah I'll tell you what like sitting in front of you like it's pretty impressive it's a pretty impressive set um, those trees was like it was like putting together a jigsaw puzzle like mm. it was maybe the most difficult terrain set I've ever put together um, it's not the most difficult model I've ever put together that still holds supreme with the spirit hosts from night hunt which will go over go forever as the most damnable models <laughs> of all time like <laughs> I can curse those to infinity um, and again like I've put together 12 of them and I, d I don't know why uh, but anyway the the thing is is like you would almost glue like sections of the trunk together and then like glue the sections like to the other mm -hmm. sections and they were um, all twisty and gnarly. I mean, it's the gnarl wood oaks, right? So they're all yep. twisty and gnarly and they would kind of fit in. And again, it was like a jigsaw. It's like a 3d jigsaw puzzle, um, which was kind of interesting. I was using uh, glue from Gale force nine and I love it and absolutely hate it at the same time. So oh, it's a plastic, it's a plastic glue, but it's like a gel based glue. So oh, yeah, I don't like gel based glue for but, models. Yeah. Here's the thing though, is like putting the glue on and gluing the stuff together. Like it holds so well in terms of like, if I put a little arm on, I only need to hold it for like three seconds and it's on, you know what I mean? Yeah. Here's the downside. It's so stringy. Oh, like it yeah. just creates these like strings everywhere. The and I'm like, web strings. Oh my gosh. I'm like, dude, I'm like get them off, get them off. And they're like everywhere. And it's like, they multiply on each other. And it's just, it's a real pain in the butt with those strings. I, so. I tell you, man, I, I stand by testers 3509 C. It's like, it's, if you go to a, a hobby store, it's like eight bucks for two tubes and it's the exact same. It's the exact same um, uh, ingredients that's inside of the Games Workshop. Yeah. And it's like, it's like a quarter of the price. Yeah. And it, the only thing is, they come with. Um, there are two ways you can get it. You can buy it in kind of the same bottle that, that the Games Workshop one comes in. It's got like the really long neck, right? So you can kind of squeeze it out. Yeah. Or you can buy them in just kind of the main tubes, but the tubes come with uh, little clips to 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 squeeze it out, kind of in like you know if you were thinking of like putting icing on a cake kind of a thing. So, but I, I stand at my, by it, man. It is so cheap. Um, and it does the job, but I'll say it does same thing. Like if I'm not careful and I'm not using those little nose adapters uh -huh. at the end, if I just try to squeeze her out of the tube, cause I'm lazy, uh, I get strings all over the place, all over the place. Yeah. I see that there's a two pack on Amazon for $12. Yeah. And that, and that, we all know the day of Amazon, right? Like when Amazon first came out, it was the cheapest thing in the world. Now their prices are at or a little bit less than what you can typically get in brick and mortars yeah. for, for hobby stuff, right? But if you go to yeah. Hobby Lobby, I think you can get that same pack for about eight bucks. Oh, nice. Okay. Good to yeah. know. If you're I mean, okay I with see, Hobby Lobby. I mean, well, I see one here that's like nine ninety four, but um, it doesn't have uh, free shipping. No prime shipping. There you go. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, whether it's your, yeah. you know, whether it's your, uh, a good train stores, if you have a train. Oh, right. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yep. Hobby train stores are great and they're great for like, you know, trees and, but, but we're digressing. But anyways, yeah, it's true. I mean, who doesn't want a Thomas the tank engine in the middle I of know. the Warhammer board? <laughs>
yeah. choo choo baby yeah. um uh so the other part of my geek week is i just got done finishing the rings of power episode for this um this week uh i my kids watched it last night but i was falling asleep so i just went to bed and i said i'm just gonna finish this thing tomorrow i was so tired and um so i watched uh i watched it i'm gonna tell you we're five episodes in i think there's 10 episodes this season i'm not that impressed with it i haven't seen anything man and i'll tell you it's almost like it's almost like the thor movie that came out it Uh came everyone's look no one talked about it and then it went yeah yeah and no one talked about it it's like the rings of power was like rings of power and it's came and there's not really been a lot of talk about it there's not a lot to talk about that's the thing nobody seems overly excited about it so I'm not but, sure if I want to spend time on it right now. But I'm sitting here going like, what what do I talk about? Like there's no like first off, like the series has been so slow. Like it's moving at a glacial pace. It oh, has some so it's serious... true to the books then. Yes. <laughs> it's very true, very true <laughs> to the books. And um like I'm not even gonna get into the controversy of like the you know, that everybody's oh, yeah, saying like yeah, yeah. diversity for diversity's sake and you know, yeah. like them changing like all the you know, some very important details of Cimmerillion. I'm not a Tolkien like uh scholar. I'm not an expert. In fact I, right. I think I've only read a few passages of the Cimmerillion. Like I haven't even read the Cimmerillion, you know, which is like most of what this is based off of. Yeah. And I I mean, I'm like, okay, as far as Lord of the Rings goes, like, it's fine to me. Like, I like, I don't have anything, like, to totally complain about. Other than it's just so dang boring. Like, I'm I'm just kind of like, okay, like, you're hitting, like, every trope, and it's just so slow, and it's like, pick up the pace and get somewhere. Like, I just, I just, I don't know, man. And so, like, I go to the water cooler, and, like, what are people talking about? They're talking about the new Game of Thrones series. They're not talking about the Rings of Power. You know, so, um, I mean, interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this. When I had a little bit of free time this past week where I could have started it, I instead went back and restarted Firefly. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And nice. you know what? I ha- And you know what? It, it's holding up. It it's holds holding up. up. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's unfortunate they never really did anything with that because, like, you know, it's a series that, that what could have been, right? We've had an enormous amount of gaming material that it's come out of that series. So that is true. It's done a lot of good stuff for our gaming industry. So yeah, but basically that was my that was my geek week. I'm putting together that set. I'm hoping to get to painting soon. Um, oh, I did. Hey, listen, I I picked up two things today, and I ended up paying way too much for the stuff. I didn't realize they cost that much. One was um, this little acrylic. Um, it it a bottle of stuff in it that basically you squeeze it out and it makes like clear water, like pools of water. Oh, like so in it's like terrain? yeah, so it's like a self leveling thing. So I'm gonna use it in some of my swamp bases that I'm making for my um okay for my Rottmeyer Creed guys. You know, so yeah. I've got like like muddy stuff and then I'm gonna have like little pools of like standing water. Yeah. Um, in it. Um, the other one is this thing called Dirty Down. Um, they do three things. They have verdigris like stuff, you know, like for uh, rust. Uh, uh, sorry, uh, oxidized copper, and um, then they have rust, and then they have moss, and it's like an alcohol-based solution. And you like put it all on your model, and then you wait, and then it just kind of like 
I, I don't know how you explain it, like blooms, kind of, like when the alcohol evaporates and it looks crazy, like really good, like rust effects mm, because it's like the way that it dries, like it looks like it's like more natural rust effects than if you try to like paint it yourself, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I was um, actually looking at a lot of rust videos this week, uh, a lot of people using pigments and then pastels, you know, crushed yeah. up pastels and stuff. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so Google Dirty Down uh, Rust Effect or something like that. There's like a two-minute video that like shows you like what it can do, and um, it's really it's really kind of cool. Now I was like, oh, okay, it's like I got this tiny little bottle of it, Ooh, that right? Is like, pricey. <laughs> yeah, I got this tiny little bottle of it. I didn't know how much it was when I when I pulled it off the shelf. I just was like, oh, this looks really good. I'm gonna I'm gonna get it. I was thinking it was going to be like eight, ten dollars. It's twenty dollars for this tiny yeah. little bottle. But you really don't need. I mean, less is more with this thing, and like a brush full can do like a full like, like model it looks easy. Cool. Looks really good, huh? Yeah, it does. It looks really good. I mean, as long as you like select it, I think you could go overboard with it. You know. Pro yeah. Well. Yep. I it mean, just depends point, on. Yeah. At some point. Um, you know, when people rust up weapons, it's like at some point they're like, okay, they're going to pick up another sword off the battlefield. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, and I think I think where you really rust up stuff is like vehicles looks like better. You know what I mean? So Yeah, totally. You, Buildings, you need vehicles. To, yeah. You need to be selective on how you use it with like your armor and your rust and or your armor and weapons and things like that. Because if you go like full, full on rust, like unless they're like a skeleton that's doesn't care about their armor yeah, you know what I they're mean? gonna be ditching that yeah yeah totally so but it looks really good doesn't it it does it looks really really good actually looking at yeah it. so all right well that'll be fun see how that goes yeah so i picked up the moss one to again use with the swampy bases mm -hmm. and stuff like that, that one so too. boy so you spent a, you spent some money today it ended up being 38 dollars and i'm like yeah. oh my gosh you know because like the bottle of stuff was like six sixteen dollars yeah. And uh, I mean, this is stuff that's going to last me for like maybe the rest of my life, you know, but, um, Lauren, still Lauren, spill it. my wife today is like, what'd you get at Huzzah Hobbies today? I'm like, <laughs> why are you looking at the budget? Dude, dude, my, <laughs> it's so funny story. Like I, I get on my wife about this early in our, early in our marriage, right? My wife watched like, when we were poor, my, my wife watched that, uh, uh, bank account like a hawk and mm -hmm. literally one time. You know, I was at work, and everyone's like, hey, we're going to go to the Chinese buffet for uh, for lunch today. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll go. You know, I haven't gone out to eat in a while. I went out to the Chinese lunch buffet. I came back to my office. I had a voicemail from my wife. Hey, what's this charge for, you know, $12 and <laughs> something, something cents? I was like, wow. I Like, not even within, like, you know, 15 minutes of the charge. And, uh, you know, this is before, you know, this is before, like, smartphones and yeah, all that yeah. stuff. So she was just, like, you know, she was. <laughs> Hit and refresh every five yeah. minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, my wife is my wife is amazing, right? She's She is very, she's very on top of things, which is, you know, it was why she was kind of doing that. And, and I would say we're, you know, we're not, we're not watching the Chinese lunch as closely <laughs> anymore. But I would, that's something I love to pull back on. Just right. Just a funny thing. Yeah. <laughs> so funny so funny so uh yeah but anyway that was uh that was my geek week it the geek always continues my friend so um it's good times mm -hmm. but um 
Yeah, I, uh, wait, do, do you hear that, Jason? What is that? What's that sound? All right. That's you right. Hear that? of, yep. <laughs> Something's coming early this year. Is it Santa? Is it Santa? It's not Santa Claus. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. But we want to put a plug in for our, uh, our, uh, our relationship with Baron of Dice right now, right? So you've heard this from our last one, right? Baron of Dice is our official dice sponsor of our podcast. That's right. So please, please visit them out. Makes really awesome uh, resin dice, high quality. Um, use promo code Tabletop and Beyond for discounts on every purchase, and please it helps support us too. If you buy, if you need some dice, uh, support support the Baron of Dice. He's a one man guy that's that's really making some good qualities for the industry and for our community. But in, and at the same time, you can help him out, and you can help us out too. And he's so got check all, him out. Yeah, he's got all kinds of dice too. If you're into RPGs, he's got you know RPG dice, you yeah, know the D20s, the polyhedrals he's got the polyhedrals he's also got a billion different kinds of d6s if you're playing um a a uh combat sledge in the year 40,000 game (laughs) any game that needs lots of d6s in a in a epic of a man god Sigmar. You know, he, yeah, he even has some, right. He Well, he even has some that could uh, do well with the Aliens RPG, you know. Uh, that you're fishing yeah. for sixes and or any of those systems where you're fishing for sixes. Look, uh, if you've got a faction of a war game that you really love, he's probably got dice that fit that. Yeah. I'm just that saying. Are themed, themed that to are it. Themed to it. That are themed there we to go. it. Yes. Themed to it. Yeah, anyway, so he's a great guy too. Uh, really, yeah, really sure. enjoyed working with him and getting that relationship up. So check him out. Yeah, and his the honestly for custom dice prices, it's pretty good. It's pretty it's good. Not that bad. Yeah. Because uh, like you go to look at uh, uh, something like a Chessex or something like that, and it's not. Uh, it's it, he's he's pretty good. He's pretty good comparatively. So check it out. Yeah. Check it out. I think you won't be disappoint disappointed. Nope. Yeah, very good. Very good. Okay, so. Of course, Dan's not here, but I have a little surprise. Tabletop Geek News. Oh, now great. That went on to the I don't know why, but I wanted at the end of that I just wanted to go. Yeah. 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 It was pretty epic. It's pretty epic. So yeah, so we so we got some good geek news coming up. Uh, Jason, why don't you kick us off? Yeah, so this is a good example of a company that we are really growing to love, right? Free League Press, who uh, publishes the Aliens RPG, which we just mm-hmm. mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about a Kickstarter they have. That's, uh, Wait, time, that's time out, time out, time out. Okay. We didn't talk about our Alien session. We didn't. We need to do that. We'll have to do a recap on our Alien session. Okay. All right. All right. Should we Continue. change the topic today? No, we gotta get. <laughs> no. We gotta. <laughs> we gotta get some of the folks that played, played That's in that true. session with us That's on. True. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, we'll have to get back to it. So we did. We played an Aliens RPG session. Um, it was you know, fun. We, like, it Spoiler was a alert. lot of fun. A lot yeah. of fun. Um, it was interesting. You know, we were learning the system. So, uh, but I will say that we generally kind of caught on to the system. Uh, pretty well, but anyway, we'll talk about super it. easy system to play and a lot of fun. So, yeah, uh, kudos Besides, to them. Totally, 
totally. Um, all right. So anyway, so this company and um, you know they they did Tales from the Loop, uh, mm-hmm. the RPG. Also, they the Tales from the Loop. They helped the artist behind Tales from the Loop really kind of make those books that he published, which ter- um, influenced and turned into the Amazon uh, miniseries, Amazon Prime miniseries. Yep. So they've done a lot of good stuff inside of I'll say it and inside of the gaming community, but also inside of like the artistic world of the gaming community. Their stuff is gorgeous. Very, right. very, very artistic. Yeah. Uh, so what what we're getting at though is that they're just a good company too. Mm-hmm. They send an email out if you're on their um, if you're on their uh, uh, email list in any way, um, or you've bought anything from them before. They sent him out. They basically were honest. They said, "Guys, the price the price of things are going up." Um, and they didn't just say they didn't send an apologetic email out that said, "Price is going up. Apologize. Things cost more money." What they said was the prices are going up by 10 to 15%. If you want to get something at the current price, we're going to keep it that way until this date um, right. in the future. So that's cool, man. They, they came and they said, guys, prices are going up, you know, but, you know, we're, we're grateful for you guys. So come take a look now if you want. If you've been on the edge, on the fence, thinking about something. Come take a look now. We're gonna hold the we're gonna hold the current price at least for the near future. And here's the thing: if they already know that their price is going up ten to fifteen percent, that means that they're already taking a loss. Oh, they're definitely feeling this already. Yeah. And I don't mean that they're taking. Let me let me restate that. They're probably you know they're not taking a loss or they'd be closing their doors you know completely. But they're feeling it. They're already yeah. feeling a loss in margin. That's really kind of what we should say. Yeah. But they're holding it. They're holding it. Uh, so that uh, and here's the other thing, dude. They even said for us, Amer- you know, people who uh, you live off of the USD, they said they said today, as of this email, our currency is at a record low to the USD. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a good hurts. opportunity for you to come in <laughs> and even get things at a cheaper price. Like who's going to normally what business is normally going to encourage you to take advantage of them? Their right. low economic state. You know, yeah. just good, good people. It's like a double whammy for them with the currency taking a hit against the U.S. dollar, right? Because that means it's more expensive for them um, when somebody buys their stuff from the U.S. And then then to have prices of, like, publishing, printing, shipping, all that stuff go up. um, It's like a double whammy right now. And good on them for, like, kind of delaying this. Now, contrast this, and and, um, I'm just providing this as a contrast – this with like yeah. what happened with mythic games um and their little fiasco that they had where um the darkest dungeon was printed ready to ship and they went to go ship it and they realized that the cost of shipping was significantly more than um what the people had paid for the previous year during the kickstarter and it was so much that like the um, they would have taken an absolute bath on mm. on the shipping alone mm-hmm. and basically not made any kind of profit from the games at all, right? Um, so they agreed to kind of split the cost um, between you know the the consumer and them and the the printer publisher of the of the game so they were kind of taking a 25 percent hit the the printer was taking a 25 percent hit and then the consumer was going to be picking up a little bit of that as well um and so 
a lot of people got outraged. I mean, in the end, I think Lincoln told me that if you got like the base box, like it was like 12 extra dollars for shipping. Like it wasn't like that mm-hmm. much, but it was the idea of like all of a sudden this gaming company mm-hmm. spraying it on them, right? Like, ta-da, you can't have your game unless you pay 12 extra dollars type of thing. Yep. So, mm-hmm. well, we were talking about it's like it's it's almost inevitable. Yeah. Now that it, two things. I think there are two inevitables that pop with every Kickstarter that I back. It's one. Hey guys, uh, sorry, um, things are taking longer than we thought. It <laughs> looks like it's actually going to be about six more months to blank blah 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 blah. It's okay. Yeah, I knew you were never going to hit your target. It just right. doesn't happen anymore. Right. Nobody, nobody on Kickstarter. Besides maybe a few AAAs that used Kickstarters yeah. uh, to do stuff. <laughs> Nobody truly knows how to accurately estimate the process of making a game you know, for the first time. And even for the second or third time sometimes. All right, that's the first one. The yeah. second one is, hey, guys, sorry. Looks like shipping's going to cost more than we thought. Blah, 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 blah. Right. Those are like the two things I just bake into every Kickstarter I back. Okay, I'm not going to get it for probably six months after when they say, mm-hmm. and it's probably going to cost me about 20% more shipping than what they say or something like that. Yeah, and, you know, it's funny because I was talking with uh, Lincoln, who, you know, obviously we've talked about him working for, with Mythic Games. I was talking to him about this problem, and he said that what they need to do in the in the future, what they will do in the future, is they're just going to say shipping TBD at time of print. Dude, that's no, man. Uh-uh. That's what you they're saying. You can't do that. I will not back it. That kind of a thing, man. Because really? What am I? If, uh, what do I go in for? Eighty bucks into a package, thinking that I might have to pay fifty to ship it. That's a good point. I have no idea what no ballpark on what the shipping price is going to be, and I have no idea what the weight of the box is going to be. Yeah. Like I could. But you don't yeah, really know no that way, now, man. anyway, right? I mean, that I, I guess they're giving up. I guess but they're giving a figure best yeah. on their on their estimation but at the end of the day like you really don't know until they actually print it right that well but that's part of the that so you know we've talked about this before but that's part of that's part of what running a business is about dude that's true. you gotta you gotta make estimations and you gotta think about what your price points are and your market entries are yeah and, and you have to put some semblance of uh you know uh fidelity behind the kickstarter campaign and understanding an estimate of what the component costs are going to uh, weight and, and grams and everything is going to be to give you an estimate of what shipping is. Yeah. You got to have an estimate. If you put TBD, I'm not backing it. I may, what you know what I'll do? I'll put the dollar on the campaign and I'll watch the campaign all the way up until the pledge manager. Yeah, the late pledges or whatever. And if you say we're having late pledges, I'll wait. I'll yeah. just wait until you tell me exactly what the price is. What if they said we estimate? I'm angry. That- no, I'm kidding. I'm not really. <laughs> <laughs> what, if, what if they said we estimate that the shipping will be around twenty five dollars, but could vary depending on yeah locality and and you know so totally they give a ballpark. So I'm so, totally good with that. So let's say they do that. They give you a rule of thumb. They say twenty five dollars, and then it comes to checkout, and you're like, oh, it's actually fifty dollars. Then you have to give your you have to give people an opportunity to adjust their pledge, because normally yeah. normally they don't okay. charge you, anyways. 
way most Kickstarters work nowadays, you can actually ad- adjust your pledge up into the point where they charge you. Oh, okay. So if they come back and say, what would really be a uh, bite my tongue there? What would really be a bad move is if they they close the pledge manager, they charge everyone, and then they come back and adjust, which is something that happened. And then they come back and say, ah, shipping's actually more. You've already, you've already charged us, man. That's a closed deal. Right. Right. So So, I don't know how to handle it. This is our world. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I think, I think the point of this whole news item that you said is like good on the transparency and the, and the forward leaning from free league and game companies got to realize that like we as consumers understand the global supply challenge. Totally. Like totally. we get it. Let's um, just be open about it. You just got to be open and transparent. I think that's a key. Yeah. A- as much as you can, right? As much so. as you can. Yeah. And, and you know, we talked about this too when it came to um, oh years ago with our old podcast, Blood and Steel, right? With uh, with Shadow the Demon Lord with his mm-hmm. uh, his big uh, um, supplement that came out. What was it called? Oh my gosh, it was the one with all the spells. I can't remember what I'm saying. Anyways, it came out, and and to Rob's credit, Rob Schwab, right? He recognized at some point that it was going to cost way, way more than he thought to actually print the book. Yeah. So what he did was he changed, you know, I think it changed kind of what you were paying for it. Everybody got a PD, you know, you, you basically paid for the PDF and then you could pay for a coupon to go do like a, what's it called? Like where you print it, print on print demand. On demand. Yeah. A print on demand. But you had an opportunity to adjust. Yeah, that's true. In the campaign, which, and that's, that's, you know, everybody be, be open and be flexible. Um, but recognize that I, I, you know, that was in many years ago. So now it's, you got to. Everybody, everybody's consumers, like you said, understands this global supply market, but yeah. we also have some expectations that you understand it too. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know the thing is, is you see other companies doing things, and and uh, you you kind of understand what the sort of the norm is. So mm-hmm. when things yeah. are out of the norm, then that's, that's when it's a little. Mm-hmm. That's when the geek rage starts. The geek rage, yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah. We should have a geek rage segment. Geek rage. Uh, that's no, not a bad no, no. idea. Well, we should. We should talk about it. Are there pros and cons to geek raging? Yeah, there might be. There I think there are. Right? <laughs> uh, okay. Our next news item that we have is Peace, that. Love, joy. Exactly. Until you rage. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the um, the next item that we have is that a Kickstarter is out for a 5e adventure, 5e based adventure. Um, so they're taking the mechanics of it, and it's called Against the Fairy Queen. And this is uh, Modifius, who has partnered with Adderstone Games to put this out. Now, this is kind of an interesting. It's kind of an interesting um, RPG. Uh, because it is based on like real Celtic myths and like dark fairy tales. Um, and it's like all like Welsh kind of Celtic fairy tales that you're playing. So, um, Adderstone games is a game that's uh, based out of uh, the UK 
and obviously Modifius is too, right? And so the description of this is a uh, quest through real Welsh folklore, train Celtic subclasses and master new systems in this epic Celtic campaign book for the legends of Avalon, um, of, of Avalon, 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 legends of Avalon. Yeah, it's spelled, it's not spelled like Avalon. So Av- Avalon, 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 Avalon. A V A L L E N. I think it's supposed yeah, to be like Avalon, but it's Avalon. Avalon. Yeah, Avalon. And Avalyn. fifth edition. So, so again, this is like the Legends of Avalon, and so this is like, I mean, when you, whenever you say Avalon, you're you thinking say King it, Arthur. You gotta say it with like a Gallic or a Gallic, Gaelic. Ugh, Avalon. 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 Ugh, Hid, bring me my Avalon. Oh, you know my what? My wife watches uh, Outlander, and oh, she loves go. it when they talk like that. <laughs> so, you're like, I can barely understand you. How do you know what they're saying? She's like, I don't care. Yeah. So uh, this looks like a pretty cool one. I mean, you get some books. You get some cards. You get, like, some foil poker cards that you can use for your stuff. You know, there's mythical yeah. monsters, Trixie Faye, supernatural beings. There's, um, it it's looks a, interesting. It's a Celtic Roman fantasy RPG, which I think was, uh, would scratch a lot of itch for some people out there. there you, you know there's a lot of people that are into, like, the Fae and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, looks kind of interesting. Uh, I think uh, I think it's good. They have a couple uh, free digital download stuff on uh, yeah, yeah. So on their Modifius. Kickstarter, yeah. Well, also on, on Modifius is uh, Modifius dot net's uh, website. You can get um, looks like they got Legend of the Avalon. Avalon, um. <laughs> free, PD, uh, free PDF. There's a part one and a part two. They look like they're just like tiny intro adventures. Oh, that's cool. So if you that was a quick start guide too for free. Yeah, for free. It's good. Uh, let's see. The forty-eight dollar tier is the one that gets you the book and the PDF. Um, the sixty-three dollar thing gets you the book, the PDF. Oh no, an art book. I don't get with it. Oh, I guess you need to do the hundred and twenty-one dollar to get everything plus the p- poker cards. I think you yeah. can probably get the poker cards as an add-on, but probably. Anyway, check, it looks kind of cool. Check it out. Uh, the Legends of Avalon. And, um, <laughs> yeah, go to modifius.com. They've got a link to their Kickstarter on there. And um, it, the artwork looks cool. I think it looks cool. Yeah, that's one of the awesome so, things about gaming is the art. There's always yeah. fun art to look at. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Check it out. Very good. All right. All right. Last one that we got on our thing is. Uh, Cool minis or not, we've kind of talked a little bit before in some previous podcasts, Jason, about how Cool Minis or Not has like this continual weekly release of zombie side scenarios. Mm-hmm. Yep. And what's cool about that is like you'll never run out of scenarios to play the game with, right? And they're free on their website that you can just download and play. So they call it Friday Zombie Side or something like that. Friday Side. Yeah. Um, that you can do this. But this week's kind of cool is Night of the Living Dead scenario, mm-hmm. um, which if you're a fan of the um, of the movie, then 
like go for it like i think it would be a lot of fun if you played zombie side so um i don't think we've played zombie side like enough on this because it is kind of a miniatures game and it's one of those co-op you know ai driven miniatures games but there's a lot to it um a lot to that game that uh, you can play over and over and over a lot of replayability and if you get some friends who know how to play it it can be a lot of fun a ton of fun so check it, it out was our first game we played in covid on tabletop uh, simulator and by the, it was a lot of fun like they set it up really well on tabletop simulator yeah like the game sets itself up you just select a scenario and it loads all the you know where everything is all the little doors and stuff it was almost faster to play it on tabletop simulator than it was in real life because like it just loaded everything up for you mm-hmm. so that was pretty cool um but yeah i mean zombie side's a great great game to play uh and check out the night of living dead so good times uh that's it jason that's it for news that's all we got this week yeah that's it so on to our main topic our main topic as we talked about in the beginning of the episode, this is our David versus Goliath. This is our indie versus our AAA uh, board game, war game, you know, card game. Like, what is the difference between an indie versus a AAA, and does it really matter? What are you getting for both? So let's talk about it. Let's dive in. Yeah, it was hard. As we were formulating this topic, we kind of started to realize, like, what what really qualifies someone as a AAA? Like, movies, it's easy to see, right? It typically, yeah. you know, you're going to see AAAs that have the crazy budgets. And, you know, indie, big budgets with, mm-hmm. you know, big actors, uh, special effects, yada, yada. Basically, big budgets. Yeah. Big budgets. Uh, and indie movies, you know, whether they're B movies or just indie movies, are the ones that people, you know, are they're being creative and they're running them on just shoestring budgets, right? But yeah. with stuff like Kickstarter today, where like two dudes in a basement come up with a game idea and they make a really good video, they pay someone on Fiverr to make a really good video for their Kickstarter thing, they can right. get you know, you know, uh, upwards of a million dollars to make the card game. So, like, what really constitutes AAA versus indie anymore with the advent of, like, the what do we call Kickstarter? It's like crowdfunding, right? Crowdfunding, yep. Yeah. Yep. With the advent of the explosive um, capability of crowdfunding, uh, what, what really defines someone as a AAA game publisher anymore versus indie? So... You know, you're ty- you're saying these words and I'm, I'm hearing these words. I'm hearing them come out of your mouth. And as I'm listening to these words, I think that crowdfunding is not the metric you, we need to use for AAA versus indie because here's the thing. You could come up with a great idea um, and you could get a lot of money for it from the crowdfunding, mm-hmm. but your the quality of your product and the actual mechanics of your game may still feel very indie. You know, so let's, um, uh, but you may not do that well on Kickstarter, uh, but you may have access to good publishing, great artwork, things like that. And even though you might be indie, it feels like a triple A title. So what, what is really the difference? I don't think, I think crowdfunding has kind of blurred the lines a little bit because, you know, you're like, oh, wow, this game got a lot of money for it. 
But I don't think that that's really the metric. Like when you really dig into it, I don't think the amount of money that you got on Kickstarter defines whether or not you're an indie game or not. And I don't think quality of components defines it either, because we're you know we're seeing more and more indie games that are based off of miniatures mm-hmm. that have really high quality miniatures or really high quality you know cardstock and you mm-hmm. know there's so many companies out there that per that know what quality uh, um, uh, components and materials are that even even the guy that d- that has a shoestring budget can still make a game based off of quality components. That's true. Um, you know, and they got to realize like they have to kind of invest in some of those. In fact, some of the indie games kind of rely on making sure that they've got quality components because that they know that that's really the draw. Maybe it's a maybe it's a little. Uh, cover up of like maybe not great mechanics in the game but gosh darn it i've got metal toe i've got metal coins you know <laughs> right, <laughs> right so right. i mean that's something so, yeah, to so think I, about yeah so i don't think i don't think game budget is is a defining uh, okay. factor. what well, might be in the movie world i don't think it is uh and and people could probably even argue it's not in the movie world but the reality is i think that they're very well correlated like large budgets usually go with large you know movie houses movie large shops. large studios studios yeah whereas in the gaming industry with the advent of crowdfunding and other ways i think i think maybe funding is not a qualifier for triple a versus okay okay NBA. okay um that's that is fair so we're saying it's not the amount of money they earn on kickstarter it's not the amount of budget that they do. So yeah, the, the money portion isn't there. You said you didn't think that components was necessarily a, def- uh, a uh, defining factor between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So what is it then? Is it so, the, yep. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm oh, curious. I'm curious it... what you were going to say. <laughs> um, I think it's reputation. Yes. I think reputation is a thing. I think also, okay. Um, it could be the size, and I don't think these are like, um, oh, what are the words we use? Uh, they're not. Um, they're not requ- sufficient. I think they're I, the difference between necessary and sufficient, right? Um, okay. I think the size of the group that goes into the development of the game, like if you have okay. two dudes in a basement, versus a studio studio shop that's got departments focused on mechanics another department focused on core blah 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 another one focused on marketing right you know you know that uh, whereas if you just got like you know four dudes who like you know like to play hockey together and have an idea and they start working on something and they and they outsourced some of those things like artwork yeah. and marketing, mm-hmm. right? Because they're not artists, in-house. but so they go to you know yep. they go to Fiverr or whatever those other uh, yeah four hire places, and they outsource them. I think that's that could be maybe a qualifier outsourcing there. outsourcing versus in house. Yeah. Okay. Just uh, you know limited resources, maybe limited in house resources. Right, and and when I say outsourcing, um, I don't count because i think a lot of studios do this i know like for example wizards of the coast does they have artists and writers who are on contract who aren't actual employees of the company 
but they are on contract as almost like <laughs> kind of retainers in a sense. Yeah. You know what I, I mean? Think, I think if you have, if you have, you know, open contracts with people, you're <laughs> out of the indie <laughs> world. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. It's true. If uh, if you didn't rely on Fiverr to gin up your contract for you, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you got lawyers, you're definitely out of the indie world. You're the Goliath. So let's pull. So I think that's a, maybe that's one that could be a sufficient but not necessarily necessary condition. But let's pull on what you said, reputation. Like, yeah. What were you thinking? So, um, you know, like you, you take a Wizards of the Coast, you take a Games Workshop, you take a Call of Cthulhu, right, or Chaosium. Chaosium. Um, Chaosium isn't nearly as large as Wizards of the Coast. Not even, not even by a fraction, or Games Workshop for that matter. You know, um, but I would consider Chaosium to be AAA versus indie. Like I, I mm. wouldn't consider them to be indie, and part of that has been their contribution and um, their contribution and the games that they have put out for over 50 years you know so they have developed a reputation of being a solid rpg company chaosium has um within the community mm -hmm. even though they're size wise they're probably pretty small compared to some of these other bigger companies like paizo wizards of the coast you know what I mean? Like they're they're not that big, but I wouldn't consider them mm -hmm. to be indie. So it's not their size; it's their reputation. What do you right. think? Right, I I agree. I think that reputation has a big part of it, and what builds reputation, what can build reputation. Once gets in, once again, it could be, you know, a um. I think one thing that builds reputation is having a prior history of publishing games. Like you said with Chaosium, you know, they, they have RPG content. They've proven themselves to be a strong uh, producer of uh, content and uh, mechanics and systems there. So if you have, if you have that uh, portfolio, if you have a portfolio behind you, that can move you into the AAA world. Now, there could be... Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily mean a size of portfolio, right? Because you could have, you could have an indie studio that's made like twenty card games, and they right. just you know they haven't haven't gone anywhere. But you can have, and you could have one one guy who's made three games, and two of them were giant successes, right? Um, so well, so okay. maybe it's yeah, maybe yeah. it's not maybe it's not the size of the portfolio, but it's maybe the impact, the community impact the portfolio has had. That's true. Um, because I mean, reputation. think about like Rio Grande games, right? Um, the Rio Grande games. So yeah. they're the ones that made like um, Puerto Rico yeah, and, big um, Puerto you Rico. know, yeah. yeah. And like, I, I think they maybe have like 10 games to their, you know, maybe probably a little bit more. Um, but so they don't have like a ton of games out there, but like they're pretty well known within the board gaming community for like the kind of games, you know, they do a lot of worker placement and, mm -hmm. you know, I, I wouldn't consider them indie because they've published quite a bit, but I don't, I don't know that they've reached full triple A status. Maybe they're double A. Maybe a double A <laughs> publishing company. <laughs> I, I don't know. Man. 
Uh, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, well, uh, let's pull another one. The Raiders of the North Sea. Renegade Games. Yep, Rene- yep. Uh, Renegade Games. Well, they're Renegade the publisher. Games? Renegade was the publisher. It was um, Garville Games. Yeah, Gar. Yeah, yeah. Garville. Like Garville. Yeah. So you know you've got when I remember when North when did the North Sea come out? It was uh, 2014. No. Uh, 2017. Yeah. Twenty fourteen, twenty seventeen, yeah, maybe. Yeah, Garfield Games, by the way, P H I L L. Yeah. Maybe Garp Hill Games, Garp Hill. Yeah. Anyways, uh, so you know, Raiders of the North, um, C twenty fifteen, when it came out, you know, <clears throat> it was kind of like, oh, this new thing, right? And it had an aesthetic and blah blah. blah. Well, it was a great worker placement game, and now. If you go anywhere and say Raiders of the North Sea, like almost everybody has heard or played that game. Even people who aren't yeah. gamers now. Yeah. That I know of. Uh, dude, his games are in Target. Yeah. yeah. So, like, you've hit the big leagues if you're selling stuff in Target. Like, right. But, I mean, it's not like they, they don't. He has that game and he has lots of expansions. Yeah. But and, and there's a couple other games that have come since, but there's not like, you know, 20 or 30 games in that portfolio. Right. Yeah, I mean, he's got uh, the uh, Paladins of the Kingdom or something like that, mm-hmm. and, and then yeah. um, the Architects of the Western Kingdom of the Well or something yeah. like that. So, um, uh, I mean, he's got, like, three main games. I think he's come out with two other ones as well. Like, there's kind of, like, a East theme one and, like, maybe a <laughs> South American theme yeah. one, something like that. Anyway, point is, is they're all basically the same game with just some different mechanics. <laughs> it's, it's really true, right? Like, if, yeah. even if you look at the art, you're like, oh, is that, are these all expansions? Yeah, exactly. And they kind of, I mean, they're all in the same theme, which is the point. But uh, it looks like if you get on, going to, I'm look, browsing the website now. If you browse the website now, it kind of looks like, oh my gosh, she's got like 25 games. Well, now like a bunch of them are just, they're just expansion boxes. Yeah. So let me ask you this: In 2015, when he came out with Raiders of the North Sea, would you have said he was an indie publisher or indie pro- game designer? I probably would have thought, yeah. I thought this is an up and coming. Uh, some some guy who's got a good game. He's got some some substance behind him, and let's see where this goes. And so then you get to 2022 when he releases his latest one. Um, do you feel like he's an indie game developer? N- no, not at all. Yeah. So you can definitely move up in the world, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's like the dream. That's the dream of being a game developer is to go from indie to triple A and being recognized like that. So what's the difference? Is it household recognition? Is it the reputation that we talked about? Maybe that's it, man. Maybe it really comes down to, maybe it really comes down to the impact on the community through your rep, which, you know, is another way of saying reputation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've got, yeah. you've got in the, obviously you've got in the RPG world, you have uh, Dungeons and Dragons, which is like the household name, right? right. When yeah. when people are like, "Oh, so you play RPG? So you play Dungeons and Dragons?" and I'm like, "Yeah, I do." I mean, like, I'm not gonna be like, "Well, actually, I play all well, sorts of different you're games." You're better than you know? I am because I'm like, oh, <laughs> "Absolutely not! <laughs> I, I haven't touched that in ten years." No, um, no, I usually say the same thing. I'm like, yeah, I play D&D, but I play variants of it that are made by other companies. D&D is just one one type of role-playing game. Yeah, and that's and when I, their that's eyes glass it. over, and yeah. they're like, and they're like oh. oh, where do you want to go for lunch? 
Yeah. Oh, so is it like Monopoly or Risk? And then I'm like, we're done. <laughs> and we're done. Exactly. So, um, all right. So you've got D&D out there. But I'm looking at my shelf right now, right? I've got Shadow of the Demon Lord, The Witcher, um, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, Call of Cthulhu, The One Ring, Cyberpunk Red, and Blackbirds. All on my shelf right now. Yeah. Um, I think the only one, well, well, actually, here, here we go, here we go. Let's let's go through this real quick. The Witcher, indie game or not indie game? Ooh, uh, that's a good question because it's a it's, it's a triple A IP. Yeah, it's a triple A IP. Okay, so this is a good this is a good point because you can be a triple A IP. Yeah, I think you can be a triple A IP, but you can be an indie game publisher. So this is published by The Witcher, and and I'll even see say Cyberpunk Red, right, because of the popularity from Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. Those two are published by Our Talisorian Games, and I I don't know. Here's the thing they had a <laughs> they had a they had a pretty big booth at Gen Con. They've got like miniature games coming out, skirmish games, and stuff like that. They had a whole staff running their thing. Okay, like, like now. Okay, if you're gonna say today, how about when when The Witcher RPG came out? Super indie. I didn't even yep. know who they were. I didn't know yeah. their name at all. Right? They they got you know they locked in an IP to help mm-hmm. them get off the ground with the mechanic system that they were developing. Yep, yep, yep. And uh, and same thing with uh, Cyberpunk 2077, right? Like yeah. that was on the heels of or oh sorry Cyberpunk Red. Uh, that that was out before, but they kind of re-released it on the heels of the video game coming out. People are like, oh so my that, gosh, it's so amazing. Yeah, this almost hits another point. Is I think that AAA IPs are generally more accessible to these adjacent markets than okay. they have been in the past. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> I mean, you're still going to have your Star Wars. Like, who knows how much it costs to actually you know, license the Star Wars franchise to make a game. Right. Off. But we talked about this last time we went to Gen Con. I felt like every third booth I walked by had a Dune game. <laughs> it's so true. Dune, you know? Dune was everywhere. It was everywhere. Yeah. You know? Now that's an old. That honestly is an older IP that I think you know. But still, it's everywhere. So, and I think it. I think it's easier financially to secure IP, uh, AAA IP to make um, things off of nowadays. Uh-huh. That said, I am speaking with some ignorance because I don't know the like maybe the way it's maybe now instead of just flat fees, maybe it's negotiated percent of sale afterwards. At that point, right. you know, it's 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 not cost um, off the top. It's off of uh, you know, it's a, it's baked into your margin at that point. Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I bet I bet every IP is a little bit different too on how they negotiate Probably, it. Right. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I've got. Uh, Shadow of the Demon Lord, definitely an indie game. In Absolutely. My so it's a, a one to maybe two guy shop, you know, when that came out, and that was a Kickstarter. But Rob Schwab has he has absolutely held on to the reins of that. That's been his baby, and I don't, you know, he'll never Schwab Entertainment, which he started up at the end of the day, is really just a handful of folks. Well, it's him. It's him, and he has contracts with like some editors and art yeah, people. That's, that's the way you know to what I mean? Yeah. And um, and like they are freelance contractors. 
there, it's different than like going out and finding someone on Fiverr again, like right. we said, yeah. um, because he goes to the same. You know, he he dips. He has in people the same he well. trusts that he yeah. works with. Yeah. yeah. So, but really, it's his company. Like you know, mm. he's the one that's really driving the driving the wagon there. So, um, let's see. I've got the One Ring. So this brings us to Free League Publishing, right? Is the One Ring an indie game? So are you asking if it's an indie game? Or is it if an, it's indie an indie game? Publisher? Is it an indie game from an indie publisher? Um, so I would say at this stage, I don't see Free League Press as an indie publisher. Oh, I don't know if I agree with that. Why? Ah, uh, I mean, I think they have a huge reputation now. Uh, I don't know that they're as widespread as I would love them to be. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? Okay. Like, All right. So then, tell me, what's the threshold? I don't know. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> right. I don't know. Um, I don't think that they are a household name, though. They had a pretty can... big booth at Gen Con. You said that earlier. You said actually, size. their booth was pretty big. Their it booth was, was big. bigger than their Artel Sorian game size matters. And, and they were selling stuff like crazy. Yeah. Um, okay, all right, all right. So they had a big booth size. <laughs> um, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what may have pushed them into to AAA, the Blade Runner RPG. I think that might have pushed them over the edge. Yeah, I think that Aliens had the potential, but I think that they didn't quite break out with the Aliens RPG. But mm -hmm. I think yes, combine that. I think combine that with Blade Runner and. Um, and the one ring, and, then, and the one ring, and you know, absolutely. Because like their their tales from the loop is super indie. It is. You know? um, it's one of those things that I think people would be aware of that it was an Amazon fl uh, show, yeah, and that it was based off of an art book. But you say, oh, guess what? There's an RPG. Oh wait, what? Oh wait, okay. Oh, look, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm I'm just now rethinking every my whole life right now. Hold <laughs> on. <laughs> okay. Um, what a fun topic. Yeah, okay. So we just called Tales from the Loop an indie game. But is it a niche game or is it an indie game? So this is where I say let's be careful, right? Because yeah. we're really talking – I'm looking at it in terms of indie publisher. Okay. Not necessarily uh -huh. a game. Right? So when so. Tales from the Loop came out, was Free League Publishing an indie publisher? I think yes. Spoiler alert. I think alert. yes. I think yes. Yeah, I think so I don't too, think they had quite gotten there, and maybe they had, maybe they had you know in their local area and their their country, but I don't think they had global as global influence as they do now. Oh, there you go. Here, here you go. There's a criteria for being AAA. You have to have global influence. Global you have influence. to. It's got to be more than just the United States or the UK or something like that, right? Interesting. Or Sweden, yeah. global influence. And I agree. And you know where I think they they moved into AAA publisher is when they started getting the AAA IP licenses. Yeah, there you go. Because if you look at what they were doing before, they they had Morkborg, they had um, uh, this kind of Dragon's Bane, but only in Swedish, right? They had yeah. um, uh, they had the what is it, the Varen? Is that what it's mm, called? Which uh, Vassen. 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 Um, they had Vassin that they were doing, and all of these are very like. Oh, they also had the um, the Forbidden Lands. Mm -hmm. They also um, mutant uh, Year Zero. Mutant Year Zero, and again, like all of these are like great games, but they're all very indie. Well, and Mutant Year Zero actually has a a tactic turn based uh, video game. Right. Yeah. 
But it's not. Would you consider that video game indie? Uh, it's borderline. It's borderline. Yeah. But anyways, I think maybe this is it, man. This the it's the 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 vast spread of the influence. Mm-hmm. Be- yeah, because these other things that maybe in other markets like movies was an easy one, right? Or even music. Those qualifiers that make it easy to designate into the the indie bucket or the AAA bucket, it's not so easy in the gaming world anymore. It's not because because of the accessibility of anyone to to jump into creation of a game. With yeah, the, yeah. Do you think that building off of a AAA game system? So, like for example, if I'm if I'm building a um rpg and i base it uh, let's talk about uh let's talk about our favorite um new kickstarter against a fairy queen right (laughs) which is which is um obviously uh, you know an amazing amazing uh story with the whole um uh the whole legends of avalon of avalon avalon Avalon. Okay, um, uh, that's our new favorite, uh, you know, RPG. But it's backed on fifth edition. So does does like stealing other people's rules make you indie? I think let's say it this way: stealing other, stealing is the wrong word. Employing other rule systems into your IP doesn't make you AAA. It doesn't make you AAA. You can't be AAA if you haven't come up with your own rule set. Is that a rule that we're saying? I don't know if I'm saying that, but I would. I, I think I'm saying the reverse, which I think is not exactly the same. That just okay. because you're using a globally influenced mechanic system in your skin doesn't make you AAA. It doesn't make you AAA. See, I say if you don't have your own rule set, you can't be AAA. Is that true? I don't think so. I think you can, I think you can employ, because you can employ the open source uh, system. Okay, okay. That's right. true. You could employ the uh, year the, zero system. You could, uh, there are plenty of systems out there that are accessible at a global, inf- a global scale uh that you could build uh your own you could you could build your own ip around the mechanics okay okay but what you just said is that if you are using one of those accessible mechanic systems that you can't be triple a right no 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 no. i said it doesn't guarantee doesn't guarantee triple a yeah i see i'll I'll clear i'll clarify it that way just because you employ a globally influenced mechanic doesn't make you automatically AAA. Mm. This is the software engineering logic in me. Right. I hear you. I hear you. The communications person yeah. in me. It is, is saying... not. It is not false. <laughs> Correct. Uh, the communications person in me is like. Hmm, we seem to be splitting hairs here. What's the spirit of what yeah. we're trying to say? Yeah, because you and... can. Because you can employ you can em- employ a global globally influenceable mechanic mm-hmm. and be AAA, but you can also employ that same global influence mechanic and not be AAA. 
Okay, so here's. I don't think here's, the mechanics a qualifier. I think it. I think it kind of is. I think it can be, but I don't think it's necessary. Okay, so be. so I think that if you want to be Semantics considered, I know, right? I think if you want to be considered a triple A thing, you can't have somebody else's rule set. I oh, really I totally disagree. Totally I, I think I think you like think of it in board games. Worker placement is a type of mechanic. Oh, and there okay. are Gosh, so many companies that employ worker placements. All right, that's fair. I, I think in board games, you're absolutely <laughs> right. I'm thinking RPGs, and I, yeah, I think generally in RPGs it's probably easier. You know, let's let's throw edge cases away and just think generally. It's probably easier to say if you have your own system, that's yeah. a good strong qualifier that you could be be uh, coming out of the woodworks as an indie group. Yeah, yeah. Because and and here's here's the rationale behind it. Um, you have, if you have a compelling IP, it doesn't even have to be a triple A, like alien style IP, but if you have a compelling right. IP with a good mechanic base, so, you know, um, with a good mechanic base, uh, you're probably going to be winning some any's, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? And mm -hmm. if you're yep. winning any's, yep. then you're all of a sudden going to be getting noticed. Your influence is growing. Your influence is growing. Um, I think that if you were to create your own world, so for example, let's let's take Blackbirds. Blackbirds is powered by the Zweihander, um, which is the Apocalypse system, right? Um, so, is Blackbirds different enough in terms of its world and world building to get noticed by the Ennies? Maybe, maybe, maybe. right? But. People aren't going to be talking about like, oh, hey, those are great mechanics. They're just going to be talking about the art and the story and stuff like that, which might be all that they're going for. That's totally fine, right? But um, you contrast that with something like Aliens, where it has its own mechanics and it has a compelling IP and the artwork is amazing. Like, there's probably going to be more buzz around that, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So that's... um. But uh, I totally take your point on the board games. I think you're absolutely right about that. Like, there's worker placement. There's, um, you know, 4X. There's, you know 4X, what I mean? Like, yeah. there's all that kind of stuff. So um, it's hard card to. games, you know, like yeah. the concept that there's, you know, the, uh, there's resources you tap into each turn that refresh. and you Yeah. Know, there, but really, you know, what makes games unique beyond just being a reskin is that there's a little bit of a there's a little bit of an innovation between yeah. the games that's a little different right um okay so here's another here's here's a, a different question do rpgs or board games or card games do they have different thresholds of meeting the triple a standard does that make sense I feel like the way that we are evolving this conversation, we are honing in on global influence or uh -huh. global recognition or reputation. Sorry, global reputation and impact as yeah. the defining factor. I don't think we figured out what the threshold is yet. Right. But I think whether you're a card game, a board game, a role playing game, any kind of a game, the global influence and impact. Uh, which are all things that tie to your reputation seem to be the thing that's bringing you out of the woodworks from indie to triple a i think i think that's absolutely true however let me put it this way 
the the tabletop RPG community is pretty insular. Do you know what I mean? Um, people know D and D. Some people will have played D and D once upon a time. Uh, you know, my kids in a D and D club type of thing. So that that happens, right? Um, but compare that to like Catan, and you talk to people, but they, people that talk to me about board games are like, so do you play like Catan? Like that's always like the measurement by which they mm-hmm. they do it, right? And Catan is like kind of an elusive of its own. I feel like the measurement of whether or not board games and card games have made it is whether or not the lay person is talking about it. Telestrations is an example of that, right? Which is kind of a little party game that you play. But like you go to somebody's house and you're like, oh, we have telestrations. They're like, oh, I love that game. And you're like, oh, wow, I didn't know you played it. You know what I mean? Uh, that that kind of thing. So um, I feel like the RPGs don't have that same standard because you wouldn't necessarily go to somebody's house during a party and be like, what games do you have? And they're like, oh, well, I have the one ring we could play. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, right. but but they may say something like, well, I've got Catan, I've got Puerto Rico, I've got, you know what I mean, like Carcassonne, um, we can play, you know, um, uh, we could play Exploding Kittens, we can play, you know what I mean, like, these are so, not like your normal games that you hear, but they're like kind of the next yeah. tier sort of that have become household names. So, all right, so here's another... Let me throw two more categories out that may be qualifiers. Um, scale of production. Okay, okay. Ooh, that's a good one. That's a pretty good one. Yeah. I think scale of production could be something that delineates uh, a AAA versus an indie. Okay. I think size of – maybe company's the wrong word, but I'm just going to use that because it's a construct that's easy to wrap our heads around. Uh-huh. Size of the company yep. that is behind that game. Because let's say you got two dudes. We talk about two to four yep. dudes in a basement yep. that make a game. It comes out. It gets awesome. Everyone in the world knows this game, loves this game, plays this game. Those two to four dudes stay two to four dudes. They don't, you know, maybe they start rack- raking in millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. But they don't, they don't <laughs> build, a, you know, they don't move into a studio. They don't build a marketing department they just stay two to four dudes just running the way they ran the last game they could yeah. still be qualified as an indie company right because they've not grown into a size of you know a corporate a size. triple triple a corporate size yeah yeah i i mean i think that's what i was getting at before with like you know like you've got some people but then they contract out people right yeah. and mm-hmm. and i think you know those count as quote-unquote right, employees right. and stuff like that and i i think you're right i mean as long as they're staying kind of that small company ish like even if they put out more games like they're still like got that indie feel mm-hmm. um i think it's when they start like you said hiring more people and then expanding more games and kind of your mark you put your corporate strategy behind the games yeah yeah then you're moving into you're moving outside of the indie because indie is typically also thought of as um, something that has more artistic passion versus yeah. versus profitability. Yeah, totally. I, I agree with that. Um, something niggled my brain when you said scale scalability of um, of uh, production, right? Well, at least it didn't uh, nurgle it. 
Yeah, Nurgle. Oh, the grandfather's blessing. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, something niggled my brain there, and um, the 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 scale of production. So it's interesting because let's say you know you put out a small miniature skirmish game, and it goes huge, and you wanted twenty thousand dollars for it, but you ended up getting two million. You know what I mean? Like because the models are amazing and the game mm. looks like a lot of fun or whatever. Um, does that put you to triple A? Because you're going to have to scale up hard to meet that demand. Um, but that, that, uh, so I, this is a loaded question. I here. guess, I get, yeah, I guess but, it, it could, but so but I don't think it does. To. I don't think it does because we talked about the, in the very beginning that the amount you get on Kickstarter doesn't necessarily put you up that way, right? Yeah, but that's, and that's why I use the word could, because right. they could take that money. They could establish an LLC. They could establish, they right. could hire a marketing person. They mm -hmm. could hire, you know, a business strategy person. And this is they what CMON did. They could create the construct. Yep, and this is what CMON did, right? Cool miniature yeah. or not. This is exact. I mean, they started out as just like doing little miniatures, and then all of a sudden they got bigger, 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 bigger. Now yeah. they're putting out like amazing ones that'll get like, eight million dollars like yeah. you I know we're for lot, what we're hitting a lot here is you know there's there's not necessarily these sufficient versus necessary things or like the they could there are these qualifiers that could designate triple a status but they don't have to right designate triple a status so I'll, I'll add this though um because i i think that and this is the one that, that really nickeled it when you said uh you know um scaling production if you have moved to full retail of your product, you are now are you now a AAA game? So, for example, it's not just the Kickstarter and the fulfillment of that game. Like yeah. you're now like producing this on the regular and selling it to places like a Target yeah, or a Walmart or but or a Barnes and Noble or you know or or wherever where games are sold. Like you are actually now putting it out in retail. Are you AAA now? Or are you still indie? Um, I think years ago I probably would have said if I can see you on any of the main brand, uh, main department store brands, you're probably in that that status. But uh, I see lots of indie games on those shelves it's now. True. Yeah. So it's it's once again it's kind of a hard qualifier because scale and distribution are way more accessible to the individual now than they used to be. All right. So uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Go. I was going to say, you know, we, we, we talked earlier in the show with the complaints that the global supply shortage has had an impact on the ability to meet, you know, schedule and those things. But you, it's, still, it's still very much accessible. People, a one-man guy, a one-man shop can make a game and can, you know, sign a contract with a company overseas in China that will drop ship his units to, you know, yeah. to Walmart or Target. Right. So, okay, all right. I, th I think that's fair, and I agree with that. I think that there are some there's some games you see on the shelf at Target, and you're like, that doesn't look like a AAA game. Yeah, that, you know, that. yeah, exactly. That? Um, but I think that you are, if you are doing active retail, like you are well on your way. Though, yeah, you're, you're you taking know. a business strategy. So you're not so, necessarily just, yeah, I agree. You've you probably moved into the double-A territory that we were talking about before. Um, all right, so one more one more question with double this, a. right? <laughs> the double-A territory. All right, the other question that I had 
Um, Triple was, B. Okay. All right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we had on our show uh, several episodes ago, Nathan Wall. Remember yep. he was making his mm-hmm. Free Radicals um, game? Yeah, Free Radicals. Now, he is an indie developer. He is an indie developer, yep. right? Because yep. he is by himself. He's testing games with his friends and family. However, he is pitching these games to big publishers that pick yeah. him up. Mm-hmm. Is that an indie game? Um, I think not. I think if you take – you can be an indie developer, but once you transition it to a AAA publisher, the right. AAA publisher controls it and is running – is running, r- running it inside of their, um, their business strategy at that point. Yeah, and I think that that's where kind of that Garfield games or Garp Hill games uh, with the with the uh, Raiders of the North Sea, right? So it was right, yeah. Renegade uh, Game Publishing that really put that out in the American market. And I think in the beginning they were kind of an indie publisher. Because they weren't putting out a lot of stuff. But then, by the time that more of those games came out, they had, like, a whole bunch of other games. They had um, some Doctor Who games. They had some other, you know, some other kind of well-known games. And and so they have become a AAA publisher. And so when another one of those Garp Hill games comes out, I don't think it's an indie game anymore because it's going through this AAA publisher, even though the guy who makes it is just a one-man shop. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, yep. so that's an that's an interesting, I think, divider right there. It's like you could have an indie developer, but if they're if they're pushing it through the AAA system, like it's not a it's not an indie game anymore. Yeah, and the game you know? the game can transition to AAA from indie to AAA before it hits the shelf. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. This interesting discussion. I'm sure there are plenty of people with opinions about what really qualifies as indie. That is probably more. I don't know, religious than it is, uh, you know, maybe uh, 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 objective. So who knows? If, you know, if if you have thoughts, please share them with us. Be curious to curious to see. I think even us at the end of this conversation, we probably have a little bit better of a feel in our heads, but I don't think we still have a concrete idea. I don't know that you can have a concrete idea. I, I think you know. that's what we're getting to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's so funny. Um, I mean, Maybe I guess. Maybe this is just an incorrect semantic for the gaming industry now. Well, that's an interesting thought, too. It's like, can you even call something indie anymore? Um yeah. And, you know, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's like the definition of pornography, which is I know it when I see it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, that's the 1970s definition of it. And so, you know, it's the thing is, yeah, the thing is, is like you you look at a game and you're like, indie, no, not indie, indie, no, not indie. But you almost have to take it game by game. And it's like. I guess it's kind of like a gut feel about it. Like this, I, you know, and again, this whole episode was trying to get to not making a gut feel about it, but I feel like we've kind of come full circle. Although I do think we have narrowed down some of the definition a little bit. I think so. I think if anything, I think it's easier. It's going to be a little bit easier when walking around the exhibit halls to, to look at something and at least have an initial qualifier in our head as to whether we, what we think, that the backing is behind something i mean but, it's e- i mean the first step is booth size how big's your booth bro <laughs> obviously <laughs> obviously you, well you've had some work done there haven't you i mean <laughs> like whoa well overcompensating invested, a little bit <laughs> in your booth but uh 
<laughs> it, uh, I mean, it's funny we say that, but I was talking again with Lincoln from Mythic Games, right? And he's like, next year, but it's going to be bigger. Next year, we're going to have a huge sign, like next year. And that just shows that, like, Mythic Games is kind of growing in influence and popularity amongst some of the things. I mean, had you heard of Mythic Games like five years ago? No. Neither did I. And I think, Ed, that, you know, if we go back and look at the first couple of their games, we would have said indie. Indie games. Indie games, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, since then, they've put out some big ones. I think I think Darkest Dungeon may have t- definitely pushed them into the AAA category. What do you think? Do you think they were AAA before that? I, I think it's solidified it. Because their big games they had before that were like um, Reichbusters, Solomon Kane, uh, Joan of Arc, Mi- uh, Fantasy Mythic Battles, or Fantasy uh, Brawl. Fantasy or Brawl. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Fantasy Brawl. So, I mean, and those games, like, I don't know that they're like, if you go like, hey, let's go play Joan of Arc, like, are pe- do people really know, like, what that is? No, no. You know, so... Uh- yeah, and even the what was the one that was uh, released at, at uh, Gen Con that John got our buddy John got the Ice uh, Steam Watchers Steam Watchers right which yeah. really fun game um, but even that it's you look at and that's one of those games where if you look at it I would look at that when I was walking by and think that looks like a company made that that's got enough resources behind them to put that type of a complex mm-hmm. you know system and component because the component you know the components are. You're not using wooden cubes, right? right You're using right. like actual little green barrels and, yep. and stuff like that. But it's not any specific IP. It's you know it's their own. It's unique. So yeah. there's just so many things that you know. Maybe really the answer here, kids, is to not judge a book by its cover. Yeah, enjoy the vendor hall at Gen Con, and you know form your own opinions. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's some clear winners out there that are absolutely AAA status, yep. but there is a blurry line between what it means to be indie and and big big time, uh, and maybe we just don't know where that line is, and maybe it's okay, and it's okay to ride on that line. Yeah, you know, I mean, I again just kind of going to Mythic Games again real quick. Um, they kind of only do Kickstarters. I mean, they got a little bit of retail that they do, but it's like if you want their game, you better do the Kickstarter. Because who knows if it's going to go into retail stores. Um, really, they kind of almost depend on the stores to pick up the retail Kickstarter bundle, which is like five boxes for X amount of money, you know? Right, yeah. Um, because they're not like mass producing these and shipping these out. They're kind of moving on to the next game, which I kind of feel like is a little bit of an indie game practice. You know what I mean? Like we're not going to sustain the lines of games that we have. We're just going to kind of move on to the next idea that we found. So uh, in terms of a publisher, I almost feel like that's an indie mentality versus, um, you know, kind of making sure that you keep going yeah. back to the, you know, the the well. Yeah, I think you can right. be I think there can be differences between indie developers and the publishers. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, indie, a, that's a good point. And indie, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, indie yeah. games. But, uh, yeah, I don't um, – I don't claim to have the final answer here, but uh, I think we've definitely evolved it and matured the concept a little mm-hmm. more. And then, uh, you know, leave a lot of this, I think, is going to be subjective at this point. I want everybody out there to tell us how bad we are and how wrong we are. 
yeah. in this subject. <laughs> I want to hear from you guys in our in our Discord, on our Facebook, on our Twitter. I want you guys to come tell us like that's, how that's not what the online community is like. No, they they never correct they're you nice. when <laughs> they're just the sweetest bunch. Bless sweetest. their hearts. Yes. Uh, yeah. So, uh, guys, tell us where we're wrong. Tell us. Tell us if we or tell us. Hey, tell us if we're right. <laughs> yes. Just feed our egos. That's right. Just feed it. Just we say Justin it. and Jason, you guys were so amazing. Um, keep up the good work. I mean, I'd love to hear it. Or tell us that we're totally wrong. Either way. Either way, please tell us something. Tell us something. Tell us that you're out there. <laughs> and go buy some dice. <laughs> and go buy some dice. That's right. Baron of dice, gentlemen. Baron of dice. Ladies Tabletop and, and beyond. Baron, yep. Tabletop and beyond. Promo code. All right. <laughs> well, <laughs> I up. think I think Jason, that's a wrap for tonight. Yeah, man. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, we really appreciate all the all the folks that love listening to our show. And again, leave us a comment. We'd love to hear from you. So have a good night, everybody. See ya. <laughs>